Welcome to a special episode of Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Normally on this podcast, editors discuss the latest big news in greater Cleveland and in Ohio. But in this special episode, we offer a discussion by the editorial board of Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer with then Metro Health CEO Akram Boutros. The meeting is from April 27, 2018, and is at the heart of an investigation that led to the firing last week of Boutros. The Plain Dealer had filed a records request in 2018 for information about bonuses paid to Boutros and his executive team, and Boutros asked to meet with the editorial board to provide the requested information and to justify the bonuses with a discussion of his first five years as CEO. Probably 90 to 95% of the meeting was about how Boutros had greatly changed MetroHealth's fortunes. But a bit more than a half hour into the session, Boutros and the then Metro Health board chair discussed the bonuses. The discussion adds to the information now before the public about bonuses that Boutros had unilaterally begun to award himself and were the cause of his termination. Thanks for listening. All right, this is our editorial board meeting with um, Metro Health. Medical Center, and we're going to go around the room, and we're going to say um, our name, starting with Tina. Hello, I'm Tina Arundel. I'm the manager of public and media relations at Metro Health. I'm Tom McDonald. I'm chairman of the board of trustees at Metro Health. I'm Akram Boutros, uh, president and CEO. And this is not Metro Health Medical Center. This is actually the Metro Health System uh, meeting. Yes, because <laughs> the name was changed some years ago. I'm still stuck. And Tom, Julie Washington, Plain Dealer Health Reporter. Carl Turner, I'm on the editorial board. Sharon Broussard on the editorial board. And I'm Mark Fonsberg, I'm on the board. Okay. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, um, just two weeks short of five years, I was here upstairs for my first meeting with the editorial board. Uh, I think. Um, I remember Betsy absolutely, obviously being there, and I remember Chris um, um, Quinn being there. I honestly don't remember if anybody else in this room was there, but um, it was a, a wonderful introduction to uh, the Plain Dealer and, and Cleveland, and uh, I remember there were two major topics of, of discussion. The first really big one is how is Metro Health going to be sustainable? How a lot of stuff going on, and 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 uh, we um, uh, were not um, seen in the best light, and but everybody knew we had a really important mission. So the question was, what are you going to do? How are you going to help Metro Health be uh, sustainable? Um, and we and, had just lost three point six million dollars in the first quarter. Yeah, yeah, over over six million, <laughs> six and a half million dollars in the first quarter, and uh, there were some concerns about that as well. And the year prior, I think we made three million dollars or some really low numbers. So folks were uh, very concerned about it, and 
And we had seeing the other health systems expand and do different things. And the other question was about uh, incentives, uh, which was what? Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you, sir? Hi, how are you? Chris Quinn. Tina Arundel. Oh, we'll so talk just plenty. listening to you on the radio. Chris Tomagall. <laughs> You want him to introduce himself on the. Oh. Yeah, no. no, I'm just kidding. Good. Huh? Okay. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. So these are the two really two, two things, aside from getting to know this crazy guy from New York who was coming to Cleveland, that were the two major topics. And I remember Betsy really um, speaking to hey, you know, Metro Health is critically important. How, how is this going to be a sustainable enterprise? So this is kind of like a 2017 year in review, but also maybe a five-year look back and what we've uh, been able to accomplish. And uh, also, um, you know, at that time I spoke about transparency and um, about our, our performance-based variable compensation program and that critically important. And, and I know that um, um, Ginger specifically asked about information today, and I have it. I'll give it. Whoever whoever is going to see, I'll be happy to give you the, the information that she requested uh, to uh, uh, to do that. So if that's okay with you, I'll go through the uh, presentation. So for those of you who don't remember everything there is to know about Metro Health System, we were established in 1837 as uh, the city infirmary and. Uh, um, we've been growing ever since. I mean, in 1937, 100 years later, uh, during the uh, TB crisis, uh, Metro Health was the sixth largest hospital in the U.S. 16 hospital buildings in, at the location we're at today with 1,650 beds. And it was completely subsidized. It was as a, a deficit-funded um, uh, part of the city with 55% of the revenues coming from the city and 45% coming from the county. That continued, by the way, all the way through 1958, being 100% funded, so we never charged anybody for anything. In 1948, uh, uh, Dr. Ramelkamp uh, identified the cause and treatment of rheumatic fever, really making a huge impact. Uh, nationally and throughout the uh, uh, world on prevention of, and treatment of rheumatic fever, which were killing babies at a very rapid uh, rate. And then uh, four years later, uh, Dr. Frederick Robbins isolated and grew the polio virus in human uh, uh, cells. Um, so by 19, that, that happened, and in 1954, the Sabin vaccine came about as a result of that. And th this is how great Cleveland ca can be. In one weekend, Metro Health and the other hospitals and all physicians came together and 87% of Clevelanders, of Cuyahoga County residents, were immunized over one weekend. It's just a remarkable uh, thing. Really, I didn't realize that Metro Health had a role in getting to the, into the vaccine. We, we, it is, without it, there was no polio vaccine. As a matter of fact, Robbins received the Nobel Prize before, for that before anyone else. So, 
So there are a lot of firsts. I mean, I could also tell you we did the first, and I know this is going to sound bizarre, we did the first uh, mammalian head transplant in the, in the, in the world. Dr. White. Yeah, so, so we literally took a head of a monkey and put him on another monkey, and the uh, monkey lived for four, uh, four days, and that's before uh, any anti-rejection drugs were around. They're actually about to do the first human uh, head transplant probably this year in China for a person who's quadriplegic whose body's just uh, deteriorating, so um, they're, they're going to attempt that. Uh, when was the monkey? 1962. So, I mean, a really long time ago. Crazy stuff, right? So, yeah, in long time. <laughs> 1958, the uh, city hospital was transferred to the county ownership uh, with one dollar and with a commitment to continue serving uh, the indigent population for 10 years. That's it. Of the entire commitment was to do that, and uh, and that year, Kaya, uh, the, the city continued um, part of the uh, uh, support, and then very quickly, within five years, all that support went away from the city, and Cuyahoga County support started coming down. We celebrated our 35th anniversary this year of Metro Health Life Flight. By 1993, for example, we were the nation's busiest emergency air transport system. Um, so we, now in 2003 to 2012, to the 10 years preceding um, uh, this period that we're talking about, <coughs> Metro Health began experiencing really some significant operating losses, and that led to curtailment of services. Some of you may remember when Metro Health announced it was closing its pharmacies, that was a massive uproar. Um, and we eventually ended up not closing them, but we began curtailing uh, different uh, services. And, um, and in, in 2010, we had, uh, and 2009, we had two major reductions in forces at, at Metro Health. Uh, the biggest was uh, 600 people who lost their job uh, in, in that one. So things didn't go really well in 2012. And Tom remembers it painfully. We hire a new CEO who says, "Nah, I'm not coming." Two weeks before, <laughs> he sent me a text. <laughs> what changed his mind? Just the financial. I, uh, he he was the toughest negotiator I've ever worked with, and he, he kept nitpicking the contract and dragging it on. I think he wanted his hospital to find out and 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 make him a better offer. They didn't. <clears throat> but when he told them, they gave him four hospitals. I don't remember that. Was that? Was it wasn't public. That wasn't public. We didn't, we didn't so make it. was somebody you guys had, had made a deal with, and then he just didn't come. Oh, no, you guys actually met him. He no. came. Oh, he, he, no, we, no. We didn't. Until so really you agreed, all, until we shook hands, yeah. uh, you didn't come here. So no, we had to deal with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying, he, you actually introduced him. He was, there was in the newspaper that he had, had agreed, Brennan, and, and he spoke to the employees, yeah. You got you guys covered him not coming because that's how I found out about it. <laughs> and by the way, that was the greatest thing that happened out of that was that his contract got in the paper, so people like Akram responded to the next search, and they said, "Hey, maybe they can pay me." <laughs> they can pay that guy. <laughs> um, so, 
well, in 2013, they do hire a CEO and he actually shows up, which is a good start, right? <laughs> Past five years, though, just so you know, Metro Health has produced $140 million <clears throat> in operating um, income and expanded services, location, added staff, and avoided any layoffs uh, during that time. And in 2017, we <clears throat> had a very healthy 3.7% operating margin, uh, unprecedented for public hospitals, uh, similar to the clinic and UH. So just tells you, uh, but, but with a very different payer mix, right? So 40% Medicaid, um, uh, still significant amount of uninsured, 30% Medicare and 25% and commercial. What was the uninsured before Obamacare and Medicaid expansion? So the highest it ever, uh, um, it ever had been uh, uh, Metro Health was 22%. Okay. It's been coming down before Obamacare. So right before Obamacare, we were at 16% uh, uh, uninsured. The, the, how, does that, how does the 7% compare to UH in the clinic? So um, when they talk about uninsured, they also talk about um, the uh, Sultan of Brunei is uninsured in America. Okay, so so when we talk about uninsured, we talk about no insurance. So if you're asking me what's their number of no insurance, it is estimated to be less than one percent. Okay, that that's what the estimate is. <clears throat> so 2012, uh, we had some facilities. We had uh, about 31 care sites, and 88 percent of the Folks in Cuyahoga County could get to one of our facilities within 10 minutes. 2017, almost 100% can get to one of our facilities within 10 minutes because we now have 74 care sites. 40% uh, used to of the population used to be within uh, 15 minutes of an inpatient facility, and with the opening of Parma and Cleveland Heights, now 82% of the population can is within 15 minutes of one of our inpatient facilities. We've doubled our inpatient facilities, tripled our ambulatory surgery centers, quadrupled our emergency departments, um, more than doubled our care sites, tripled our number of pharmacies that we have. We had uh, um, uh, a 60% increase in our number of visits and had a 50% increase in the number of, of patients we take care of. Because our payer mix changed, people have asked is, are we moving away from taking care of the most vulnerable, right? That's our, that's who we're known for, that's our mission. And if you can see that despite a reduction of, of a significant reduction in the uninsured, right, because of Obamacare, we still, are, last year we still took care of nearly 21,000 uninsured patients. People don't even think there are 21,000 uninsured patients. In Cuyahoga County, there are more than that. So we took care of 21,000. And, and for every uninsured patients that be, went on the ACA, when became, went on Medicaid, we actually picked an additional three Medicaid patients, right? So we're now, we lost, 17,000 went from uninsured to Medicaid, and 51,000 of Medicaid patients were gained. I'm sorry. What does risk lives mean? Uh, I'm, I'm actually going to get, oh, get okay, to that. So, <laughs> so that's a, that's just a term of art, and uh, so 
when you are responsible for the total cost of care, for delivering on the total cost of care of a population in which you are capped or you are will pay back if the amount of dollars exceeds the benchmarks, that's a risk life. It has a, it's financial risk to the institution. So we had 8,500 lives, which were really our employees, right? But today, for example, we have um, about 15,000 of Cuyahoga County's employed population have selected Metro Health. We've reduced their cost. Right? I mean, talk about certain things we do that actually turn into positive dollars for taxpayers. We reduce the total cost of care for the population that takes, comes to us by 9% over two years. Okay. So you know how you had to pay more in insurance premiums? They didn't. They actually had to pay less in insurance premiums for the number of the patients that we have. So, so that's what we do. So now today, uh, this is un really unprecedented, this growth for any health system, to go from um, less than 5% of the patients that they take care of in risk contracts to almost 50% of the patients being in risk contracts. So we have risk contracts with MMO, we have them with the corporations, we have them with Medicare, we have them with Medicaid, we have the largest, uh, the only total cost of care contract in Ohio with any Medicaid insurance company, 70,000 lives with CareSource or um, under our arrangement. So Metro Health uh, in 2012 uh, was much smaller enterprise was 783 million in revenues today it is 1.13 billion and our community benefit was 200 million dollars it's now 230 million dollars uh, so if you now compare the five years that we're talking about to the immediate five years prior for metro health we our community benefit is 145 million dollars more for the most recent five years compared to the five years prior. And our specific Medicaid shortfall, so we, we, Medicare does, Medicaid does not pay for all of the care, so we have to subsidize that. And the uncompensated care, uh, which is completely uncompensated. We delivered $780 million which was which is ninety almost hundred million dollars over five years, so twenty million dollars more. So our financial performance has per permitted us to to do that, and that's without an increase in in uh, health and health health and human services uh, support. As a matter of fact, the past three years that number has gone down. So just in brief, two thousand seventeen, we achieved national recognition for lots of first. We did the largest self-funded public hospital project in the U.S. Typically, the, the billion dollars that we went out to the bonds for, um, the, the taxpayers of the, of the region would um, uh, uh, pony up about 50% of that. We asked for nothing, uh, no dollars uh, uh, for it. We announced the first hospital in the park in the, first, in the U.S. Um, we still the, have the uh, first high school inside the health system. Carl and I were just talking about that next year. They will be graduating. Uh, the wow. first class will be graduating. It'll be four years. Uh, we reduced the taxpayer burden for uncompensated care by 
taking a $7.5 million reduction in health and human services levy. And people have asked me about that over and over again. And for us, and the, our, our discussion with the board was fairly simple. Metro Health has the capability of generating revenues, right? Because we're not dependent on just only on, on, on health and human services levy. As a matter of fact, it's less than 3% of our revenues today. But folks like the Adams Board could not generate additional business. So as, as when we got together and we spoke to council and, and, and uh, county executives and they assured us that those dollars would go to uh, the Adams Board, that was a okay thing for us. We said, that's fine, we can do it. They need, they need the dollars to be able to uh, provide services. Uh, we are top performer of higher uh, health systems and cost savings for a Medicare Accountable Care Organization. Uh, we saved Medicare 9%, um, and that is the highest of any hospital system in, in, uh, in Ohio. We expanded services into East Cleveland, Parma, and Cleveland Heights. We ignited uh, West 25th Street revitalization and have had, had our best financial performance in our 181-year history. So it's been a pretty, pretty good year. Just so you know, we expanded uh, to East Cleveland our, our joint venture with Fresenius and Cleveland Clinic. We opened up in, uh, in uh, East Cleveland, opened up an office. Um, we, we launched our Office of Opioid Safety, opened the Super Zerata House for spinal cord injury patients. We began converting former health span sites uh, um, in Parma and Cleveland Heights. And, and, and some of you may remember the Parma facility used to be a Kaiser Permanente hospital right, years and years ago, and they closed it, and we now have it operational. And even though this is not 2017 uh, numbers, I can tell you it's been working unbelievably well for 2018 since we worked. You're getting people that are getting treated oh. there and staying overnight there. Yep. Uh, we've had the highest, I think, is... 12 patients in, in Parma and uh, 10 patients in Cleveland Heights. So, and, and they have nothing but rave reviews for, for the care. What are they generally going for? Is it procedures? Or? Yeah, so not yet. We're actually they're going to be doing procedures, but about 30% of the patients that come through an emergency room do not need tertiary or quaternary care. They don't need those very high-end oh. things, right? Especially, especially the older patients, right? So a 70 or 80 old woman who comes in with, who has hypertension, diabetes, and comes in with pneumonia today, she, that's actually the worst thing for her is to go to a hospital that is, you know, full of all sorts of things, right? And, and, and noisy and, the, the, and, and lots of activities. The patients sundown, they, you know, they have just all sorts of issues. Here, we can actually have them stay closer to home and, and go home faster. They look like they're about early on, but it looks like half a day faster than they would at Metro Health, right? And they're much more comfortable. So um, we use lights to reduce the confusion for patients. So we're trying different things there. We've expanded, uh, we had developed an affiliation with uh, Case Western Reserve Dental School uh, to provide expanded services for oral health, and we became the first hospital in the country to use something called mission rehearsal technology, which actually isn't just um, 
simulation on a, the type of surgery you do, you actually uh, simulate on a model of the exact patient. So instead of going into somebody's head, you're actually taking all the, all the CAT scans and MRIs, reproducing them, and doing the procedure, uh, uh, simulating the procedure before you ever uh, go into the operator. I think you know, one of the things we hope to do is uh, combat opioids and started the Know the Risks campaign. We did not expect it to gain the national recognition. It does. Several cities now are using all the stuff that we produce. Which ones? Um, I have to get it from Rita uh, Anderson. But two cities have already used our uh, Know the Risks campaign. Yeah. So, and, and it's a fa fascinating thing. So we had... You've seen the big pill boxes? Yeah. Well, they were created here pro bono by one of our manufacturers in Cleveland. Now those cities are ordering it. It's actually now part of their business to give, to purchase these pill boxes. Did they get the media partnerships in the other cities too? Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure what they're uh, doing, but we can, right, we can follow up with them. And you know our community is very, very Latino concentrated area, and there's a lot of diabetes and hypertension. And so we started to program Ciclavia, which is um, uh, we closed down the street and during the uh, summer months, and we actually have lots of uh, um, activities and things for people to move around. And we started uh, teaching healthy cooking, but Latino and Hispanic healthy cooking for the population. Um, we were happy to see the project that we supported uh, and helped uh, get a $10 million tax credit for uh, opened up the uh, lofts at Lion Mills, and many of our employees uh, uh, live, live there now and walk to the, to the hospital. Uh, we created CCH Development Corporation to revitalize the West 25th Street neighborhood, teamed up with Cleveland State because we're going to have a significant nursing shortage, and now we're asking folks to go into it. So. Uh, to um, uh, and we're helping them with tuition reimbursements, and we were delighted to get the, the one of the largest grants to expand um, um, naloxone delivery and throughout, and received two million dollars for that. <coughs> Diversity is really important to us, and um, you know, um, Cleveland may be uh, one of the most diverse cities. It is also one of the most segregated cities I've ever seen. So we um, um, the, what we had to seriously think about integrating all these uh, services. Uh, Metro Health Pride Clinic celebrated its tenth uh, year for the LGBTQ community. It's the third year class for Lincoln West, as I said. Uh, we still are the only people who convene a transgender job fair. This is uh, actually this is our fourth year. We typically, we will, I believe, have 16 companies hiring that day from uh, that job fair. It was 13 last year. Our diversity hiring really soared, and 41% uh, of our managers hired in 2017 were racially or ethnically diverse. If you added gender inclusive, that number was 82%, and physicians, 33% uh, and 75%. How does a transgender job fair work? The only people that can come to it are transgender? Correct. We actually help them with 
getting dressed, how do you go for, uh, and, and how do you answer questions on the <coughs> interview, they have speakers, then they have companies who come in. Uh, it is, uh, how, do you, how do you deal with some of the bias that you have at work? What's, you, know, you can deal with it in a multitude of ways. And it's typically, if it's not handled appropriately, the transgender in individual is the one who ends up leaving because they just can't tolerate the, the uh, <coughs> environment anymore, even if they're in the right, right? So it involves some coaching with both the job applicants it, yeah. and the employer. Yeah, so it starts at 8 o'clock in the morning and ends at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So a full day. Could you talk a little bit about um, getting diversity in the physician field? You often hear that that's a spot where, you know, a lot of patients who are African-American, Latino, and other backgrounds don't feel that comfortable with their physicians. Yet, yeah. You know, they <coughs> tend to be, you know, still white. So, so, so it, 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 it's, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things. So first, the number of African-Americans graduating from medical school in 2017 was the lowest it has been in the past 50 years. The number of Hispanics is also trending, <coughs> trending down. The number of um, Asian, Indian, Asian, and, and, and um, Asian uh, um, uh, physicians is trending up significantly. So, is what, that just for U.S. medical schools, or is that beyond the United States? Um, that's U.S. medical schools, right? So we've, we've, Metro Health used to be in the, in the 40s and 50s uh, the most diverse for the medical staff. That was because we treated people appropriately. But when both UH and the clinic began opening up their doors, Right, we were the only people who would accept um, uh, physicians of color, and now once they began opening the doors, that became more difficult for us. So we really began paying attention to it about five years ago with Vanessa Whiting, who's our on our board. Uh, she began uh, the, the diversity committee of the board, and so it's all relationship. So if if the if the residents don't come in and believe that there are people who look like them. The residents are not as concerned about the patients they're taking care of. The patients are concerned about the doctors who they're taking care of. But the, 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 the residents want to feel comfortable in their training. So they want to have folks who look like them, who can tell them that this is an appropriate organization. And, and we have now have had our attendings involved, our residents who are in the... Um, um, uh, and uh, who are ethnically diverse involved. And we've gone to, uh, also it's become harder, right, because the, 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 the medical schools that were predominantly African-American, now, now the kids go to a multitude of schools, and that's great, but it makes it harder to find all the different groups. So you have to actually become a member of the medical, society, medical student societies for each one of the ethnic groups. So we, we just put a concerted effort in it and have them understand that they will they'll be treated with um, more respect than they would in other places. 
And uh, you, you know, we're we're spending you know a billion dollars, so it's really important that we make sure that the economic impact of that money it gets uh, felt everywhere. And seventy percent of the companies that we've selected are either minority-based uh, enterprises or female-based enterprises. So. Transformation, as I said, uh, uh, really I'm talking about now cl clinical stuff. Uh, we um, achieved the highest, as I said before, uh, savings for CMS in Ohio. Uh, we issued the $946 million of bonds as, as uh, the largest self-funded public uh, hospital project in the history of the U.S. Our joint venture, uh, also Ohio Renal Care Group not only opened up in East Cleveland, but we uh, built a new facility on West 25th Street, beginning the, the transformation. Our construction project uh, began in October, and now we have six years of nonstop construction at the Metro Health Campus. So, so um, even though the critical care pavilion we built a couple of years ago was the start of the transformation, we had a quiet phase. Now. Every not, there is a non-stop. You will see cranes at the Metro Health Campus <laughs> for the next six years. We unveiled the Community Transformation, which is the first hospital in the park. Our revenues increased by forty percent, four percent over the five, prior five years. Uh, we saved, as I said, we took uh, seven point six million dollars less in fifteen and sixteen from the levy. We provide $230 million in community benefit, $160 million. So the $32 million that we're talking about, we receive, goes specifically for the $160 million of uncompensated care and Medicaid shortfall. So for every dollar that we receive, Metro Health has to find another 4 or $5 to put on top of it to provide the care. We generated $13 million in county and city employee taxes, and we had a record year in our outpatient visits, our um, employee, excuse me, emergency room visits, our, and the unique lives. Our number of employees is uh, the highest it's ever been in the history of the uh, uh, corporation. We had over 2,000 nurses at Metro Health and over 1,000 physicians, both of them. Are, are really uh, high water benchmarks for us. So the new age opening its emergency department has not cut the number of people coming to your emergency rooms? It has, uh, you're talking about the trauma? Yeah. So it has reduced our trauma service from 6,000 activations to 4,000 activations. It had the result, has resulted, and, and Tom has heard me say this over and over, it has resulted in a $35 million bottom line negative results for Metro Health. But, but your emergency rooms are getting more visits than ever before? Correct. So that's people's self? Correct. Yep. So we used to be at about 110 and we're now at 140. Does that make up the difference for what you've lost now? No. Because there's no, uh, when, you, when you're operating 4,000 4, trauma activations, there isn't a lot of other staff that you need. You have to operate. So the 2,000 that went away really were just top-line revenue that just went away. There's, and, and trauma doesn't have a lot of very expensive equipment associated with it. It's very people-intensive. Uh, but it's not like, um, you know, um, 
um, doing a heart transplant, which is very, you know, very expensive. To do. We've got lots of awards and recognition. I will tell you, every executive at Metro Health has been named to one of the top uh, positions. They, even uh, earlier this year, our uh, Vice President of Government Relations was the youngest, uh, maybe youngest too, but the, the, the least senior person named to the 50 most influential, uh, diverse healthcare executives in, in, in the U.S. Uh, Tracy, this is the same list that Barack Obama was on for eight years and is no longer on. So Tracy, I told Tracy she replaced President Obama. She didn't, she didn't think so. But um, uh, Metro Health received the top 150 places to, to work. Fourteenth uh, year of North uh, Coast uh, 99 for best places to work. We're most wired hospital, the LGBTQ health equity leader. We received a hundred percent score uh, 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 from that, and we continue to be leading an electronic medical record. The only 16 hospitals in the country who got pre-certified at level seven. So I'm going to go through one slide and then just go turn it over to Tom. So in 2013, as we said, Metro Health was criticized for providing incentives to executives uh, while losing $6.5 million. And I, and I hope uh, Alan Jan Kleinerman doesn't get upset that I'm quoting her from her uh, on May 8th. That's when I came to see you guys. And uh, she said, transparency is important. Boutra said, once plans are solidified for Metro Health, he wants to make them clear to staff and community. It's unfair to say, follow me when you can't see where we're going. I think we've been very transparent with everything that we've done. Uh, Boutras said he's aware of the criticism. Uh, both Boutras and McDonald said such compensation is an important tool for measuring the leadership team's progress during the year. And we uh, said we would create a very transparent uh, process. We actually did not meet the July uh, timeline, but in September in 2013, we, um, uh, at our board meeting, we uh, displayed the entire program, explained it, and uh, I believe it was covered. So, Tom, you want to? <clears throat> the, the attention that was brought to our bonus system at that time was uh, proper because we didn't have a lot of structure behind it. It was really uh, a bonus that was in a contract. The one that got everybody's attention was a bonus that we paid to Mark Moran in his last year as CEO. Yep. And it was, it was in his contract. And we had just lost all this money in the first quarter, but the money was for the year before. So we paid it. And that got your attention, got a lot of people's attention. That's why we came here. It was just coincidence that he was on his first trip here to, to go through that. Since then, we've redefined <clears throat> how the PBVC or performance-based variable comp is paid and how it, what has to happen to get it paid. The first thing to understand it is all of it is at risk. We have a triggering mechanism, and it's a financial triggering mechanism. One of the things that we did this year after the bonds were, were sold is change the metrics to EBITDA, cash, the cash that we get in. 
we need $60 million a year to pay down that debt. So, so don't, don't, I apologize to correct you, 66.3 I know that, but that was just <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have it imprinted in my, uh, my, uh, my brain. So the trigger is $66 million. If we don't get $66 million in EBITDA, nobody gets paid a nickel. Any out of the PBVC. They keep their salaries, but they don't get any kind of bonus. What we then did is hire Sullivan Cotter, which is a, a, a compensation consulting company, to come in and look at what we're paying, first of all, what our salaries look like, and then help us design the PBVC system. That was hired by the hospital's management. The board then took it upon themselves to hire our consultant. So we hired Finley Davies to come in and look at Sullivan Cotter's stuff and say, yeah, this is good, this is good data, it makes sense, and the, and the structure that you're going to put together makes sense. So Finley Davis will continue to consult with us. Every year Sullivan Cotter goes out and does the survey. We'll get to that in just a second and, and shows us how we fit with everybody else. My, it, it, this seems like it's getting pretty granular. Does this have something to do with the records Ginger asked for? Yeah, that is specifically right. that. We'll, we'll make sure she gets a copy of this recording. Yeah, I, I, have, I have all her stuff for her here. Right, um, but this is, this is also as much to do with the results, of two th the results since 2013 have been fueled and catalyzed by this program. And, and it's important to understand why... You know, I constantly get asked, and, and I, I, honestly, I don't, I, I don't want to sound self-aggrandizing here, but every time I speak nationally, people say, what did you guys do? Um, you, you know, when I came here, Denver Health was riding high, right? And in, five, in the five years that we're here, Denver Health has lost massive amounts of money, have gone through all sorts of things. They were the public hospital that we wanted to emulate, right? And so people are constantly asking me, how, how, do you, how do you guys do this? And how do you do it and still um, save money, right? I, I mean, that's, we're not going out and asking for more money and doing other things. We're, just, we're actually saving money. So it, it really comes to first selecting the right people. People have a passion for the mission, right? The, you cannot motivate folks with anything without, without that passion for that mission. Then it is actually having them understand that if they perform, if they, if they perform at a D level, they're going to get paid at a D level. If they perform at a C level, they're going to pay C level. If they perform at an A level, they can be paid at an A level. Okay? And, and it, for me, it has eliminated all the friction between the executive team. And it's also really, it is hard, and, and believe me, I wish it wasn't, but it's really hard to get senior executives to focus on diversity, okay? It is not what they want to do. They want to look at operations and things like that. So <coughs> the board, and you'll hear from Tom about all the different things, or, or the school. I mean, for me to tell my management team I want a high school in the in the hospital, it's like, that's not what we do, dude. That, you know, we take care of patients. But to say that the community needs us, we need to do that. So these are metrics we can embed, and we do embed in the performance-based variable compensation to make sure they deliver on it. So it's no longer just about the financials. It's about what's best for the community. 
And so that's one of part of the secret sauce. There, if you remember back, when you probably don't remember back, but it, it's not only the compensation system that incites people, it does, but it's the people that we had. When, when you met Akram first, almost, if not everybody, in the C-suite were interims. We had people walking out every way from Sunday. And so we didn't have the best quality folks there. He's repopulated the C-suite with unbelievable people. And they came because of the mission, to be perfectly honest. They, they love the mission, but then they can see how they're going to get paid and understand how they're going to get paid. That's on the next page. But one of the things that we need to understand about the PBV system is that public money doesn't contribute to it. In 2016, we segregated all of the, the contribution that the county gives us to a separate checking account. It only goes for patient care. That money is only spent for patient care. Nothing goes to the executive's bonuses. And, and no one gets cost of living increases. Just, that's not, no, none of the executives do it. The only way that a, a, a senior executive gets an increase in salaries is their scope of their work is increased, and they get paid more for, for the work that they're doing, not just because they were there for a year. So in two, two and a half years ago, when the board did, we did an analysis last year, and we did an analysis two and a half years ago of the Metro Health, my salary was changed because Metro Health was no longer a 785 million dollar organization that had a couple of sites it was now a $900 million organization, $950 million organization that had you know, a lot more sites. So that benchmarks changed that way. In, so, a, in addition, I told you about Brennan's negotiating style. When we got to the contract for Akram, he said, pay me 5000 more you did the other guy. Less. That was less, that's right. Less. less. <laughs> and, and that was it. And that was way out of line. When, once we got Sullivan Cotter data, we knew we were woefully underpaying our CEO. So, but one of the fascinating things that is important is that most people think this is about an increase, right? So, I just I was talking about Jane Platten, and you know Jane. So Jane just started with us, right? When she came to us, and she became the chief of staff in January, her scope is significantly lower than the prior chief of staff. Her salary is significantly lower than that of the chief, the other chief of staff. So scope, our chief experience officer used to have more scope, now they have less scope. It goes up and down that way. So when, when people talk about scope, you know, they think of only bigger, it's not. It goes down, it goes up, depending on what your responsibilities are. Okay, now this, <clears throat> these are the metrics that we use. There are five broad uh, places. Once again, the top is financial. The trigger has to be triggered, and then the performance-based variable comp can grow depending on the performance of the financials. Strategic, the number of unique patients served, the number of you, the, the risk lives that we cover, quality, improved CMS, the Center for uh, Medicare Study, uh, Services, improve quality measures on that base, the improved accountable care organization quality measures, diversity in community, 
co-equal with the other uh, the other measures, and uh, it, because that is so important, if we're going to spend a billion dollars over the next six years, to make sure that we're spreading that through the community properly, and then patient engagement. <clears throat> when I first got here, it was very frustrating to call Metro Health. You you get put on hold forever. General improvement has, has been great, but it's still, we still have places to go, so the, the call center is still on that uh, improvement list. And outpatient pro uh, uh, provider scores. Now let's do a little compare and contrast. We have uh, 18 public hospitals that Sullivan Cotter has identified as being our peers. And on average, this is 2017 numbers, uh, the revenues in those 18, and they, they go from uh, 800 million to from, a billion from, five. From 500 million to a billion eight. Right, excuse me. And uh, so they their average is a billion, 027, ours is a 1.13 billion in revenue. The income excluding taxpayer support, negative 22 million for our peer group, positive 9.1 million for us. EBITDA, once again, EBITDA without taxpayer support, 33 million for them, 63 million for us. Taxpayer support for them, 48 million. Ours is 32.4 million. The payer mix, they have 30% commercial, which is the most lucrative payer mix or the lucrative group of, uh, of payers available. We have 25. Medicare, 40% versus 30%. Medicaid. Remember, Akram told you we lose money on. At, we don't make cost on Medicaid. They're 18 percent. We're 39 percent. Self-pay. We're both seven percent, and other. And I really don't know what other is. Yeah. So there are specific state programs that they have for for different things that they they provide services for. We don't do that. The next slide is the, the actual uh, name. Let me just, yeah, let me just, uh, so so the payer mix is, if we had their payer mix, Metro would just, no additional patients would actually make $70 million more, right? So you, you see that um, the 63 million versus 33 million, that's a $30 million difference, right? We get $15 million less than their, from taxpayer support, right? So that's $45 million. Add the $70 million to that. Metro Health's performance is about $115 million better than the average hospital here when it's normalized to these things. Okay. It is, that is why we have gained national recognition. Uh, tomorrow morning I'm flying to Washington, D.C. I'm providing the, the keynote on this for, for a panel for at the World Healthcare Congress. So the, the head of um, Aetna and myself and, and several others are speaking about how you reduce costs so radically in healthcare. So mm -hmm. we've, we've gained a lot of national recognition for this, the work that we do. This is the, the 18 hospitals that we're comparing ourselves to. You can see Denver. Denver's on the list. As Park, just you know, Parkland Health System loses five hundred million dollars 
and that's how much it gets from taxpayers to to close the close the gap. And they just uh, had a billion dollar construction a project, and yeah. we hired the guy that did it. So a billion two, and they received seven hundred million dollars of taxpayer support. For really? It. Yeah. <clears throat> now this is for for these are Metro Health numbers from 2003 to 2012, the 10 years before. Remember I was telling you that we had some really difficult years. Those were the 10 years where really it, it started uh, after uh, um, a CEO whose name is White left, and that those 10 years were really difficult for Metro Health. Let me tell you how difficult they were. Uh, one of my first meetings as a trustee, the uh, chief legal officer came in and said, by the way, one of the contractors that we use for a lot of stuff around here has been deducting their bribes on their tax returns. Really? Really? Really. Bribes to, to the to, Metro Health system? Or to, to, the Metro, to, the, to the guy that ran construction for Metro Health. See, that, that person wow. went to jail. And that was our entry into the county. <laughs> deducting about the tax returns. Not the smartest crook in the world. Wow. Average revenue growth for that 10-year period was $26 million. For the last five years, it's $69 million. The average annual income over that period of time, $5.5 million, or six-tenths of 1% margin. For our five years, $29.6 million, or 3%. That's, that's your, your revenue over expenses? Number. Correct. That's just, yes. The earnings are, are, are cash. Okay, EBITDA. Yeah, EBITDA. Uh, so, and there, there was forty-eight million, where it's at seventy-eight million, and but we used to also have a lot higher taxpayer support. It was five and a half percent of our revenues, and now it's down to three point eight. And one hundred and sixty-seven million dollars in annual benefit to the community, and two hundred thirteen million dollars now. It was 231 last year, but we've been growing that over time. And um, that executive comp is, compared to the revenues, is actually going down. So that's uh, that's what you think of efficiency. Okay. Executive comp, 2012 versus 2017. 15 top executives, both, both periods, total base salary in 2012, 4.9 million total base salary in 2017, and remember we re we turned over the entire C-suite is 5 million 460. <clears throat> total 2012 incentive and 2017 PVC. In 2012, the incentive was set point seven hundred thirty thousand dollars, yeah, and in 2017, 1.69 million. Total revenues, 782 in 2012, 1.13 billion. 2017 income, 10 million in 2012, 41.5 million last year. Earnings, 54 million, 96 million last year. That's the EBITDA number we've been talking about. So, so I want you to think about this. I said my the 66 million is engraved in my brain. Um, if we had 66 million, we get to cover our, um, our our debt service for the money we borrowed. 
but it doesn't permit us to um, invest in additional community programs. So 66 million now is the bare minimum we have to make. In order for us to grow, in order for us to do anything else, we're going to have to go above that. We're going to have to, the more we have, the more we can we can uh, do do for the community. So um, this was a meteoric rise for us. We went from, I think, 72 million last year to 96 million this year. So that 22 million dollars. And we're very, we're very happy that 2018 is looking as good, if not better than last year. But that also, last year's performance made the board push the bogey higher. They're, they're good that way. So they said, hey, you can jump really high. Can you jump a little higher? So. That, that represents an annual increase of 7.6%. Annual income increase, annual revenue increase is 7.6%. Annual income re, re, increase of 32.2. And annual earnings increase of 12.1. Once again, earnings, EBITDA, income, income. Annual top executive increase, 4.82%. We are living our mission, and when I say that, you, you, it really is not effective in understanding the depth with which the people that occupy that building care about the mission. They really, really live it. We're also, in, the, in our project, in our transformation project, we are igniting the West Side development. It's going to change that neighborhood forever. We are transparent. We said we were going to be in 2013, and we have been, and we will continue to be. As I said before, the PVVC program does not use taxpayers' funds. We've saved taxpayers millions of dollars by selling our own bonds, not using the county to back us up. Nobody thought we could get that done. A billion dollars. <clears throat> being paid by Metro Health. On the day of the sale, Ackerman and I were talking, and we were selling a billion dollars worth of bonds, and we had bids for $4.1 billion. We didn't think we could do it, but the financial community really believed it. I, I, I'm <coughs> just, uh, I'll digress there with the greatest aging for me for the first 30 minutes of my life here, so I'm sitting at the banker's office. There's a big tote board, and it has 120 minutes, and it's ticking backwards, right? So they, the, the, the bid's open, ticking backwards. First 10 minutes, I see $2 million of orders, okay? Another 10 minutes go by, nothing has changed. Another 10 minutes go by, and it's now $100 million of orders. I'm thinking, $100 million, it's taking us half an hour. <laughs> oh, my God. So I, I take a picture, because I want to document my heart attack. <laughs> so, so I take a picture of it, and I, 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 I send it to my wife, who had just texted me. She said, how's it going? She responds, oh, that's great. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> okay. Um, Ten minutes later, I t 
take another picture and I email it, I text it to Tom, we're at $1.9 billion. And uh, 10 minutes later, I text him that we're at $4 billion. So um, the, nobody told me that they only upload these in chunks. They, <laughs> <laughs> so despite the fact that they were coming in, but I swear to you, there was 20 minutes of, of absolute terror that this was not going to uh, uh, take place. And then an hour and a half of joy, pure absolute joy that, that happened. And the first part of this presentation, Akram talked extensively about our elevated service, the clinical and financial performance. We are truly operating at historic levels. We've hired 1,400 people while other health systems have been laying off because of the performance that we have enjoyed over the last five years. And it is that performance is a key to our sustainability. And I don't mean to oversell it, but knowing where you're supposed to go helps you get there. And knowing if you get there, you're going to be rewarded helps. And that's what the PBVC is designed to do. So we think there's an appropriate junction. You know, as I said five years ago, that the conversation was, what are you going to do? What are you going to do to stabilize Metro Health? And we don't like this incentive program. So here's what we can look back and say, here's what we've done in the five years to stabilize Metro Health and deliver on our, our mission. And here's what with the, how the performance-based <coughs> variable compensation program has played a role um, uh, in, in that process. And I'll tell you, as the CEO, it is one of those things that, that used inappropriately is hard for the organization used appropriately. It has been one of our uh, key um, secret sauce things that we do. But you have to hire the right people first. It go, oh, and I, you, you may know this, but no one is hired at Metro Health before a values assessment. Not a single person is hired at Metro Health before they go a val through a values assessment by a third person against the values of Metro Health. And if they do not meet a threshold, not, not interviewed. We don't care what your resume says. We don't care what your uh, experience says. It doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. So, and we've been doing that for four years now? Yeah, three or four years, and it's been wonderful. So, Do you worry at all that, that the last couple of years have been record-setting and that, that it's the best you've done that that might be a bit of an anomaly and that you you could come back to earth a bit and then not have what you need to, to move forward. I mean, you got to get that 66 point whatever million, right? Yeah. Right. Um, do you worry at all that, that you know, the health industry obviously is ever-changing, that you can get to a position where you don't have that? The, the health industry has been changing. That, that's important. Has been changing. We've operated this way during those changes, and it, they've been dramatic, they've been radical. The, the, what happened with the Affordable Care Act was unbelievable. Um, we, we performed through that, we performed now. If I didn't worry, if he didn't worry, I would get worried. If he didn't worry about being able to continue to do 
duplicate that, uh, we'd both be in trouble. So you think you have to a place to react as needed? But, but I, let me just, you, you know, Chris, uh, and, and, and Sharon, you, you asked about uh, uh, the ACA, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we think the ACA is a wonderful thing. We th absolutely think it's amazing that we have that many people today covered and we can provide more care. We used to lose our Medicaid shortfall prior to the ACA was $10 million. Medicaid shortfall, excuse me. You know what our Medicaid shortfall is today? $90 million. Okay? Because the only way they could, they could actually pay for these additional folks is they actually gave us cuts. So in 2014, we had our first $10 million reduction. 2015, that went up to $20 million. And 2017, that went to $29 million reduction. But all of those don't compare to UH opening up a trauma center, right? That was $35 million on top of all of that. So no one can tell you, yes, we are ready for everything else. By the day that President um, Trump was elected, the next morning I had my, uh, we had our entire finance and government relations team uh, come, come together, and we literally came down with 14 possible major impacts on us, negative impacts on us, and have a solution for each and every one. Several of them have been delayed, but we have a solution for everyone. Because the reason the board asked us to do that for a simple reason is that if we don't do that, then the answer, answer is just reduce that $230 million of community benefit, right? It's, it's money going going out from the uh, corporation, so it might as well just reduce that, and that will be okay. That's not acceptable to us. That's not what we will do. So they said, how do we not curtail services? How do we continue the foster care program? How do we continue providing care in the jail? People don't. People, no one cares that we provide care in the jail. Not even the inmates care that we provide uh, care in the jail. But we are saving their lives and their health because they're this, we take care of them in the jail. We take care of them after they come out of jail. We give them a continuity for it. And we also have, for some of them, we have a re-entry program. They actually become our employees, right? So, so we're trying to make those changes one person at a time. And that would be terrible if we let what happens in Washington, D.C., or and 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 Columbus derail us from from our mission. So I have never in my five years, I've never been as optimistic about Metro Health's future as I am today. And with the leadership team we have, we changed our chief operating officer in January first. Not a blip, not a change. Guy retired. We had hired somebody two and a half years beforehand who was being trained for the position, we did not miss a beat. So that is what we work on, that's what we, we uh, uh, look to do. We're shooting for, you know, Tom told you the issues when he first came on the board. We hope by 2019 we're going to be one of the, uh, join the ranks of uh, the, uh, the world's most ethical 
companies. Convincing all the contractors to stop the duck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, so, so we hired Cheryl Wall, right? So Cheryl Wall is our chief ethics and compliance officer. She helped university hospitals become one of the most ethical hospital uh, organizations. She's helped other folks. And, and if you talk to Cheryl and, and you asked her, you know, five years ago, would you go ever work for Metro, or maybe even two years ago, would you ever <laughs> work for Metro Health? And so was no, you no, I'm not going to do that. But we go after. But she has also the right heart. She wants to give back to the community, and and she wants to do the right thing. You know, with your subsidy dropping as low as it is, I imagine some of the requirements of being in the county control um, are onerous. Do you ever give any thought to separating out, becoming independent, becoming a, 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 a not for profit? Or, or your own entity, where you become a taxing entity or something in your own right. I mean, you can't expand beyond Cuyahoga County, right? Yeah. And that's what your competitors are doing, and to great, to great profit. If if you're going to be competitive, you, know, you would have to break that county connection, right? So the the board is clearly, uh, as you saw, we're clearly trying to figure out what the future looks like, what the next 10, 20, 30 years looks like, what's the right path for us. I think we've real recognized a few things. We've recognized we'd save $50 million just in benefits alone if we were no longer... Because you're in the state system. Yeah. Every employee gets okay. the state pension system. <laughs> right. so, so that we, we pay $50 million more our rate than the clinic in UH. So that, that, that would be the case. Um, th that, that's a real departure from what people who have been in Metro Health for. So it would be really hard to to renege on that commitment with them. Okay? I think they've come here. There, there have been plenty of years that they've received significantly lower payments, and it would be hard to renege on that. I think it also would change who we are. I think it changed our, our, our organization and the mission over time. I think it would hurt us. I'm not saying it won't happen, I'm just telling you that I think we would be easily lured away from not take our community, take what we're doing in the, around our neighborhood, right? Think of all the health systems around all the region, and has anybody ever thought about doing that? No, when you're a not-for-profit organization, all you really think about is your, your customers, which happens to be your patients, and your corporation. Be us being a public health system, we think about our community a lot. But could you could you still be a public health system without the county? Could you be independent? Yes. The county? Yes. I mean, right now, when they go out for the health and human services levy, it, you know, you're the billboard for that. This supports Metro Health, but a lot of that money doesn't go to you. If you were independent and you went out for your own tax, you'd get the full benefit of it. So, Chris, the big question is: Would the health and human services levy pass without? <laughs> so I mean, so that's one of our. That I mean, look, I have every year I've been told you should go for on your levy, you should do all of those things. And the big question is, yeah, we can help ourselves, but what's the risks? So one of the things that Julia, if you could um, um, tell Ginger two things is that, despite the fact that I gave her exactly what she wants wanted. It may be a bit confusing and, and hard to understand. 
so and doesn't tell the full story. So if, I'm happy to speak to her. Um, like I said, I'm out of town starting tomorrow, but I'll be back on Wednesday. So if she wants to talk to Tina, I'm happy to um, uh, uh, do that. Second thing is uh, really, and it really is a request. If you guys are going to write a a story, or you're going to write an editorial about um, about the PBVC stuff, I'm asking you to wait till after Tuesday, after the Health and Human Services lobby <laughs> goes up to the thing. I think we don't want to uh, uh, confuse and and uh, the, the 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 votes. But that's that's an important <coughs> part of where we are. Adam's board came to us a couple of years ago and said. If you and us go together, we'll, we'll definitely pass. But they did an analysis, and they said that if Metro Health does not is not in a levy, won't pass. The, 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 there's um, a 40 percent chance it won't pass. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's not something I'm willing to risk. I, I mean, the, the, the food stamps is on that level. The SNAP program is on that level. Okay, the foster care program is on that level. The, the child work, the child protection programs are on that level. There's no way we're going to say, as long as we're the poster child, as long as people are, that, that, that this is all about us and let's, hey, let the county figure out about what they do with these folks. So, look, we're going to have to expand. We're going to have to figure out who we are. We're going to have to be able to be competitive in the next 10, 20, 30 years. Right, that's these are all really important, but to f you know to focus purely on competition and not to focus on our mission, then we might as well be just like any other health system around. So we can we keep focused on who we are and what we do, because frankly, no one else will do it. It's just as simple as that. I wish other people would do it, and if they did it, we don't have to do it. And I'm we. You know, I I don't really care. So so if if, if we've tried to get um, other health systems and CMSD to provide health care, and it's taking us five years now, but they're beginning to do it, and we are delighted. We want them to do more, right? So so we we provide all these health cares in these uh, schools. We want them to do more. So so that's our role. That's at the end of the day what we have to do. Another way to answer your question is we know we have to keep growing. We know that we're going to continue to deliver our mission, so we've got to figure out a way to do both. And we are talking about that almost every day. So you have benchmarks for financial measures. What are the measures for the other things? What do you want to see? How do you know you're actually doing the right thing in the community? Yeah. What do you want to see there? So on, on diversity, for example, we we have we can't have we cannot um, talk about it's actually federal law that says you're prohibited from saying how many diverse candidates you hire, right? But we want to know, but we can measure and have metrics for how many diverse candidates we interview, what the percentage of the people we interview, and it's fascinating, Carl. Hiring managers, once you're in front of them, all they care about is hiring the best person. So for us, when it was 10% diverse qualified candidates in front of uh, the hiring managers, 
we'll hire ten percent. When it was twenty percent, we'll hire twenty percent. When it was thirty percent, we'll hire thirty percent. And when it hit forty percent, we'll hire forty percent. Right? So we want to make sure people have access and, and diversity here. And we also want to be sure be sure we're deliberate. So I don't know where these are made, okay? But I can tell you is that every bottle of water that is going to be uh, uh, drunk by one of our um, uh, folks who are building our building is going to come from Northeast Ohio. Okay? That is how deliberate we are. We're saying is that that money is going to be go to purchasing things from Northeast Ohio. The fuel that the, the people are going to work. All of those things. So that's a community part. Other, other, other sustainable thing is so. So this year, we want to get a thousand homes connected uh, free to the uh, internet around us. Okay, you can't participate in this economy without that, right? And you when you do that wirelessly or wired? At Wi-Fi. So that's that's how we know. We know, and and but the the long term results is if we can turn this neighborhood around, if we can turn this community around. I'll tell you, I'm I am dying, dying, to see the infant mortality results for the next couple of months, because if they stick, we're going to have one hell of an announcement to 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 make. You're doing well. I'm not saying. <laughs> Are they doing well with minorities? Yes. Wow. That's so, really so you know, I think you know that Patty DePompey and I, yeah. um, co-chair first year Cleveland, we've been working um, um, tirelessly on this with about 400 other folks who've been doing this, and and I'm just hoping that the 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 last two months of November and December were. Amazing January, February, and March so far look just as good. So when would you make that announcement in the summer? Uh, so we, we'd be making it in August. Yeah. Could, so, could we get a copy of the electronic no, copy of the day? They can, but you can. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah happy to, okay. to provide. Uh, who would I send it to? And could you just email it to me? Of course. Yeah, of course. So, uh, so long term, Carl. Uh, honestly, it's about these things, right? So to. Do kids have, do the kids out of the school graduate and have jobs and are living really good lives? I think it's going to take a while for us to do that. Do we have are we are we saving babies? Right? Um, is the opioid crisis um, um, reversing? Right? Are we are we winning this? So that's that's the community. Talk about what you've done as far as the opioid crisis for prescription. You're going to have to excuse me. i okay. got to go to 11.30. Thank you for coming in. Appreciate this. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Helpful. Thank you for being there. Thanks. Um, we're we're going to, I think, make a huge announcement at our, our stakeholders meeting. But uh, the, we, we took a very uh, hard look not only on what do drug dealers and um, uh, the drug companies uh, contributed to the uh, opioid epidemic, but what is our um, contribution? What is our fault? Because we are to blame as well, and we have decided to make 
um, take very important steps to um, uh, make sure that we're not contributing to that problem. And so my hope is that we, and at our stakeholders meeting, we not only will announce some significant results, but we will also announce what the steps we took so that replicable so other organizations can use them uh, to reduce uh, um, the millions of pills that are prescribed every year. When would that be? Uh, it's June 8th. June 30th, the Thursday Culture Meeting. <coughs> Sorry, I didn't know it was secret. It, it, it's okay. <laughs> I didn't tell them anything. I, I wouldn't tell them. So that is that. From a community perspective, that's that kind of stuff. You know, we don't, you know, community to us isn't the patients, right? The, the, those are our patients, right? So there are customers too. Community is everyone who doesn't come to Metro Health or, or who, whose needs are beyond healthcare, right? So, so we're, we're putting in um, uh, food, healthy foods at Metro Health where a doctor actually writes a prescription for it. It's food as, uh, food as pharmacy so that you can get, a diabetic can get healthy food instead of going to the store and buying crap or, or, to, or, or to the, to the uh, in our neighborhood, you, you go to the um, uh, gas station and pick up, you know, some terrible things for you. So that's a long-term solution. We'll see how that how that changes. Uh, but there's a lot of short-term things which are process measures rather than outcome measures, right? So putting in the internet is a process measure. You've done something, and a thousand people have it. How that internet changes the lives of those thousand people, that's an outcome measure. So we have both. The shorter term sometimes is a, is a process measure. Finance, by the way, is always an outcome measure. They, don't, they, never, <laughs> they, ne they never take our word for, oh, we did the right thing. I know. It's an, it's an outcome measure. So. Is this, this the last time I'm going to see you at a... I guess so. I, I guess. I mean, I'll be around town, so. Okay. Well, now I'm saying <laughs> at, a, at an ad board. At an ad board, yes. Yeah. Carl, well, too. Are we talking the same thing? Yes. Did we take, oh, well, Carl's leaving as well. Though. Yeah, well, I had my conversation. Oh, you already with had your conversation with Carl. Yeah. Oh, darn. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes. So, I'll be around town, though. But, uh, I'm, uh, Sharon, thank you very much for thank you guys always for being here. And uh, you've been amazingly kind. Listen and learn. You guys know so much. So. Mm -hmm. so. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. And just will you, will you let her know to call, contact you? I will. I will. I'm sure she will. Okay. And I, I have some story ideas in here too, so okay. I'll be following up. All right, great. Okay.